Hello and welcome to Franchise Paradiso. This is a podcast for lovers of film franchises because while we all wish more original content was being made, we cannot control the major Hollywood studios any more than we can control the weather. So we will revel in what we are force-fed and dissect our beloved cinematic franchises. My name is Heath Lynch and I'm here with the amazing Foster Harlfinger. Hello everybody. And the spectacular Rowan Wood. Top of the evening to you. And we're here today to do our award season wrap up where we talk about all the new franchise entries that came out over the last trimester which would be what september 1st through december 31st uh this is not going to be a traditional episode where we make our top 10 rank list instead we're going to talk about what we liked what we want to see more of and what we're kind of just over but before we jump into any of this and uh go into our thoughts uh if you like what you hear today and you're interested in following any of us let's do some quick plugging foster where can people find you Letterboxed, F-O-S-T-H-1-0-1. And Rowan? Uh, Letterboxed and Instagram, uh, Rowan Aboat and knockonwoodfilm.com. And you can find me on Letterboxd as well at the one Heath Bar. And additionally, if you like what you hear, besides just following us or subscribing, uh, you can also follow us on Instagram at Franchise Paradiso. Or if you have any questions, hate mail, whatever, comments, you can get a hold of us via email at franchiseparadiso at gmail. So we're going to jump right into it. As I said, we're going to talk about the award season franchise releases. We'll spend about uh, three to five minutes going over each flick in release order and then collaboratively, words are hard, deciding whether or not we would recommend, not recommend, or just think a film is passable, net neutral uh, regarding all of these. So let's jump into it. The very first one, starting out this trimester was equalizer three which (laughs) released on september 1st making the equalizer franchise an official franchise by our rules now was i the only one that saw this i forget if you guys saw this one i did not see it i haven't seen any of the equalizer movies all right so i will take the reins on this one and i'll just preemptively say this one's just fine it's net neutral (laughs) is going to be our rating on this one uh the first and second equalizers are more thrilling than this have better action sequences than this and are just more compelling but you know what this is still denzel washington kicking ass and being a badass action superstar and it's just fun especially because this one uh goes into his retirement he's a little older now and the movies acknowledge that that he can't do what he once did which is interesting because most of our action heroes never age. They're eternally strong and youthful. And if they aren't anymore, well, then that character gets recast to someone who is still strong and youthful. Um, But it was kind of cool here seeing uh, Washington as uh, an older guy who still has still got his game, but not as good as he could have when he was in his thirties versus now (laughs) later in life. Um, and uh, it's a different setting as well. They go to Italy, which is weird. It gives it a weird Godfather, Sicilian kind of vibe. Uh, so, yeah, Equalizer 3. If uh, you like the first two, you might as well give this one a shot. Uh, but uh, it's not something I'd go out of my way to see if you haven't seen the other two. Let's jump then to the next one. It's going to be The Nun 2, which released a week later on September 8th. This is part of the Conjuring universe. And I believe we all saw this one, so uh, let's go into it one at a time. Rowan, what do you think of The Nun 2? Let's go. Well, as we know, um, I don't know if it's been established on this podcast, I am the 2018 Nun movie's uh, biggest fan. Uh, (laughs) I love it unabashedly. I think it is a great movie. I think it is so fun. I always enjoy rewatching it. 
Um, and so that is why I think this one is just okay. Uh, I think there was so much um, potential here. Like, like the setup from the first movie, I think is genuinely incredible. Uh, and they had so much to run with and they just kind of muck it up <laughs> because it feels like, um, there was the potential to do so much. I feel like a like a Pope's Exorcist uh, style, you know, like a like major um, epic tale of love, redemption with some like with some action and cool possession stuff thrown in there. We get the cool possession stuff because that's a Conjuring universe staple. But apart from that, like I, there are a couple good scares, but I don't feel like this movie improves on the predecessor or. Um, or really builds much of the universe in general. I know that it, 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 if the post-credit scene is to be taken as fact, they're uh, going to rope the Warrens uh, into this, you know, little sub franchise um, in the next one. But who knows? Um, I, yeah, I think it's just okay. Um, and I know that me loving the first one, that that like my love of the first one is rather unpopular. Um, but uh, there is a scene in the Nun two. Um, which has Valak the nun appearing through um, on like through like magazine covers on a newsstand, and that is phenomenal and incredibly scary, and that is the, the highest praise movie. that I could give this movie. <laughs> Foster, yeah, pretty much the same. I thought it was just okay. Uh, I don't know. I don't think it's offensively bad at all. I think there's mm-hmm. good things in it. It's a pretty good looking movie. I love the magazine stand scare. Um, yeah, I'm just looking at the director, Michael Chavez. He did The Nun 2, The Curse of La Llorona, and Conjuring 3, which <laughs> are just, to me, all in the same camp of, like, okay. <laughs> They're just, like, the most whatever movies to me. I don't think it's probably his fault, because, like, again, the movies look just fine, and there's no- nothing offensively bad about any of those three to me. They're just, like, kind of boring. To be honest, so more maybe... script issues than direction yeah, issues. Yeah, but it's like what unfortunate luck to have three movies in the Conjuring universe, and they're all just, eh, you know. Yeah, um, yeah, I'm gonna agree. Um, I like this one more than the first one. I am not a defender of the original <laughs> Nun movie, like Rowan, uh, but even liking this more, this still just lands in net neutral. It's okay territory. Uh, whereas the first one, I thought was actively bad. Um, Yep, the magazine stand scare is dope. There's a couple fun things. Actually seeing like a demon goat devil thing running around the school. That was kind of fun. And uh, the final battle where Valak turns into a giant wine monster and lights on fire and stuff. That, you know, there's fun moments (laughs) to be had, but it's it's the same climax as the first movie. Yes, yes, exactly. Um, but uh, so, yeah, overall, I think we're going to give this one the the net neutral rating. Is that sounding like where we're going with this? I think so. 100%. Yeah. Uh, I would even add the extra caveat. If you are not already invested into the Conjuring movies, don't bother with this. This is for someone who's into the Conjuring movies and seen the nun already. And otherwise, this is not going to be your bag. Moving on. A week after that, on September 15th, we had A Haunting in Venice, which is part of the never-ending Hercule Poirot uh, <laughs> IP franchise, not just these more recent Kenneth Branagh ones. Uh, the Hercule Poirot character has been around for decades in many forms. What did we think of this new A Haunting in Venice? Who saw it? I did. I watched Ryan, it pretty recently, first. actually. Um 
as 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 part of my 2023 catch up. I thought it was just okay, but I think it might be the best in the Poirot series so far, which is a strange thing. In the thing. Brenna. In the Let's yeah, specify, yeah, yes. Yeah. Um, the cast is like is much stranger than I would have expected. Like Tina Fey in this like in this sort of period piece just strikes me as very odd but i thought she was pretty good like i i I love seeing michelle yo and jamie dornan um is it jamie dornan who was in this right i yep yep i'm 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 always mixing it up with the cast of the first two movies because those casts are so good and this one is just okay but i think this movie is better uh than than the last two um the actual mystery i didn't really care for too much um but i just love the vibes i love the atmosphere i love the set decoration um like that is is what really made me like this movie uh but overall like like it's nothing special um but if you're gonna watch one movie from this trilogy maybe this is the one foster yeah i liked this a lot actually um i wouldn't say i loved it but i think easily the best of the three uh brand of poirot so far i think um like rowan said i think the visuals are actually kind of incredible um and i say that without any qualification i think they're genuinely pretty amazing and almost underrated at this point because no one really talks about it anymore but like the sets the rainy dreary atmosphere the the million like dutch angles but not just the dutch angles but like the cool camera tricks that are used like the they have it i feel like attached on a rig to the actors as they're like running through the halls and it mm-hmm. does this cool shaky effect. Um, I think Michelle Yeoh is really good in this too. I think Jude Hill, the kid is really great. The kid from Belfast. He's like actually maybe my favorite like character in the movie. Uh, I think Branna is really good. Um, mystery. I don't really care for too much, but yeah, I do like the vibes of this one quite a bit and is the only one of the three Branna Poirot's that I actually am looking forward to rewatching. I can't see myself ever wanting to rewatch the first two, to be honest. Yeah, we're already starting to sound like a broken record this episode because I agree. Uh, I think this is the best of the Branagh Perot films. Um, I still like to go back and watch Murder on the Orient Express from time to time, but I recognize that's okay at best. I don't know if Death on the Nile is even good, uh, but this one I actually think is a good film. Um, mm-hmm. And it's and it's for one reason in particular, and that it leans into being something different. It's not just a murder mystery. It's a horror murder mystery, and it plays with that, with these visions that the characters are seeing and their hallucinations, and the the ground is shaking because they're in Venice and this they're on an unstable house, and uh, the way the cinematography, and it's not even just the Dutch angles, but it's almost like a muted color palette where they kind of drain color from the screen at some instances where it's not black and white, but it's like leaning in that direction, and then another scene will pop with a little bit more color. And it just, it feels like a really eerie horror, almost like universal horror kind of style, like 1930s through 1950s style horror movie. And there's, there's just some fun in that. Um, I will say I have one complaint and one big complaint, and that's, I can't stand a murder mystery where you can't play armchair detective. That's part (laughs) of the appeal of a murder mystery. I think I've even said this before on the podcast, you have to make it solvable. And unless you know, like the very intricate details of certain flowers around the world. And they're what was it like a pollen or something in the flowers in the film? I, f- I forget what it was exactly, but like, if you don't know the gen- the Genesis of this certain type of flower and that it can make a certain type of effect if ingested, it is literally impossible to solve this uh, riddle when you're watching it at home, which is a little frustrating because then it gives a little bit of a Scooby-Doo 
mask reveal and is oh is you the whole time and you're just like how i don't what and so that's a little annoying but uh, i think the performances are fun uh michelle yo is actually really entertaining here uh for her brief amount of time and yeah i i think this is enjoyable and uh i look forward to more branagh perot films so are we giving this the uh it sounds like we're bordering between net neutral and uh, a recommend where are we throwing? I, I'd, I'd be okay with recommending this especially if um if our listener uh if our listeners listeners plural uh <laughs> enjoyed uh enjoyed the first two movies then they'll definitely like this one foster i'd recommend and i would say like i know i have some co-workers who saw this movie who hadn't even seen the other ones and they enjoyed it just fine i don't think you really like that's part of the appeal of of like classic mysteries is you don't have, yeah, you don't have to have, yeah, I was just going to say what you just said, but in more words. <laughs> uh, so I don't know. I think it's great. I would recommend it to people who liked the previous ones, people who didn't like the previous ones and people who've never seen the previous ones. So I feel like it's a pretty easy recommend. Yep. We're going to go with a hearty recommend then. Um, and then moving on, I think I'm the only one that saw this next one. This is Expendables, or Expendables 4, if you want to pronounce it incorrectly. This is the fourth movie in the Expendables franchise that was released on September the 22nd. And correct me if I'm wrong, I am the only one that was unfortunate enough to see this. Is that correct? That's correct. Yeah, another one where I've seen none of the other entries and do not yeah, care to watch so any of them. <laughs> the Expendables is a franchise that modeled itself as a homage loving campy tribute to 80s and 90s action films the original one came out in 2010 i believe and it was just all about bringing back the the old gang uh you know people that you used to love dolph lundgren and arnold schwarzenegger and here's bruce willis and to lead them all is sylvester stallone and the first couple movies really lean into this and it's a lot of fun. And then especially when they start bringing back villains like Jean-Claude Van Damme and it's just like a laughable campy good time, especially when they literally start throwing out their own catchphrases. And in one movie, Arnold is like, I'll be back. And then Bruce Willis is like, no, you've been back plenty of time. Shut up. I'll be back. And then he <laughs> leaves. And then, Schwarzenegger is like, well, fine. Yippee Kaye, motherfucker. And then the scene just keeps going. It's just so blatantly self-aware that it's hard not to have fun. Even when the story is stupid and the action doesn't make sense. Fast forward for whatever reason, the franchise stopped. They made, they made them in 20, 2010, 2012, 2014. And a decade later, they're like, you know what? We need a fourth one. You know what the world now that <laughs> now that everyone is really old and no one can even <laughs> fucking do it anymore because they're so old, we're gonna bring everyone back and either kill them immediately or make them fake die and go off screen because they can't physically do it. And we're gonna bring in a whole bunch of nobodies to carry this movie, and it is it's just awful. This is some of the worst scripting I've ever seen. Some of the worst dialogue. The visual effects are terrible. Uh, they would have been terrible 10 years ago when the others came out, let alone now. Um, this one really is also just a Jason Statham vehicle, which isn't inherently bad. Cause like, I mean, if you saw the masterpiece that is the beekeeper already this year in 2024, <laughs> then you know that my man Statham can carry a movie, but this is not that kind of movie. This is not the beekeeper. And this is just, it's bad. There's literally one scene where a guy who's battling alcoholism decides fuck it i'm just gonna start drinking and starts drinking 
as if he's Popeye the Sailor Man taking down some spinach. And the movie literally plays like inspirational music behind him. So now he can shoot with insane accuracy and murder a whole bunch of people. It's insane. Uh, I'm sold. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, I hated this movie. I thought it was absolutely terrible. It was a slog to get through. Um, Even my wife, who loves campy B action movies, it's literally her favorite genre of film, couldn't stand this. Uh, So Expendables gets absolutely not a recommendation from this podcast. Unless you want to torture yourself, then have fun. Moving on. To the next week again, man, September was loaded with franchise <laughs> films. We have Saw X released on September 29th as part of the Saw franchise. Rowan, what did we think of Saw X? Uh, we loved it. Um, we had so much fun. Uh, I'll speak for myself now. Um, it's very much, um, it's it's crazy that in the year of our Lord 2023, we're getting a new <laughs> Saw movie with Tobin Bell as the lead, it with like very pointedly within the continuity of the other Saw movies. And as a fan of the series, like weird soap opera storytelling, that is so exciting for me. Um, and I, I love seeing Tobin Bell back. I love how well the story works within, like even within the bounds of the other one with a very complete arc for every single character. Um, I love that we get to see... Um, John and Amanda together, um, two characters that are linked uh, very closely by the series, but we don't really get to see them interact. And like, like we don't see this mentor-mentee relationship that we hear so much about, this movie actually shows it to us. The traps are great. Uh, like the catharsis that you feel at the end of the movie is fantastic, despite like maybe a few lingering threads that I don't care for. Um, but it, it this is dipping our toes into territory that we'll cover later in this episode, but it, it gets me very excited to see what more could come from this, from these like saw like interquels that take place, like in between the other movies. Foster. Yeah. Uh, I liked this a lot. I think um, the best thing about it for me is that you actually care and are invested in the story and the traps and the people who are in the traps and the person making the traps. Um, it's just a, uh, there's a little bit more substance to it than the, than just the sort of torture porn, like what kind of crazy thing are they going to put them in next? You know? Um, but that being said, I feel like they did a pretty good job with the traps. I'll be honest. They're not jumping out to me as I'm thinking, thinking through them in my head right now. But I remember being in the theater and like, this was the first saw movie I've seen in the theater. And it was a pretty fun experience because everybody was like, Ooh, Ooh, ah, you know, like making all the perfect <laughs> noises and like, and like cheering and laughing, you know, and then being grossed out. So it was, it was really fun. And uh, I feel, yeah, yeah, I, I agree with Rowan. I, I think Tobin Bell is great as well. So I'm going to just be a broken record again. Keith, what did you think? Yep. Uh, this is really good uh, for, for the Saw franchise. I would even say this is the second best the series has ever been only behind the original in my estimation. Um, I had a lot of fun with this. I think a big part of why this works is Rowan, like you said, it kind of continues the soap opera-ness of the overall story, the insanity that goes with how these all characters interact with each other and know each other. But it actually, in a weird way, brings so much more humanity into it because the first act of this movie is like not jigsaw stuff. It's not (laughs) traps. It's not murderizing. It's background story. It's character development. And 
I would even go so far as to say is not only does that, that this movie in one film teach us more about John Kramer as a person and more about Amanda as a person than in any of the other films combined, it actually makes me like hate the victims even more. And like, not that I'm okay with them being tortured and murdered in this way, but like you're a little bit like, ah, I kind of, I get it. Whereas before in some of the movies, it's like, Oh man, this is a drug addict who got hooked by accident and now it's ruined their life. Well, fuck you. Now Jigsaw says you have to cut off your arm if you want to live, even though your, your life is already torture or, Hey, you made a really bad real estate deal on accident. Well, now you've got to, you know, remove your eyeballs. If you want to, like, you are depressed. You must crawl through a maze of razor wire to escape. Exactly. But in this one, it's like, no, we actually see these people intentionally being duplicitous, deceitful and manipulative, intentionally trying to harm people. And it makes it so that when we do get to these people in the traps, you're like, yeah, no, that guy was an asshole. And what they were doing was terrible. We got to see it instead of just expositionally being told why we should want them to die. Yeah, well, because um, if we saw the the, the exposition for the other one, <laughs> we would see that there's like you know that th- that this person is just sad, and yeah, there's exactly. no reason for them to, to be put in this situation. Yeah, so this was uh, I thought this was pretty good. I, great character development. I was much more invested. I was much more invested in the traps and whether the people did or didn't es- escape because I knew more about them and who they were outside of just being a body in a trap. The actual main villain, that that woman, I forget that character's name, but oh man, I hated her so much. And it was great seeing her as the through line, making it all the way to the end. Uh, it, this was just fun. And it got me excited for this franchise again in a way I haven't been in a long time. So uh, it sounds like this is going to be a, a full sweep recommendation. Is that correct, Rowan? 100%. Foster? Yep. Franchise Paradiso recommends Saw X. Again, with the caveat, you're probably already a Saw fan. If you uh, don't like gore porn horror movies, don't go see this. It's Moving I, on. I will say, it is it it is less graphic. Not to say that it's not graphic. It is quite graphic. But it's not <laughs> as graphic as many of the other Saw movies. Comparatively um, to the Saw franchise, I would say yeah. yes. But comparatively to literally any other movie ever, this is going to be more graphic. Well, yeah. <laughs> and I mean, there are war movies that are less graphic than this. So yeah. I do want to stress, if you are not a fan of gore porn or torture porn, horror films, do not see mm-hmm. this. Watch watch the first hour of this movie and then turn it off. And then turn it off. <laughs> um, okay, moving on to October 6th, we had The Exorcist Believer as part of The Exorcist franchise. Rowan, what did we think of The Exorcist Believer? I don't know. I didn't see it, nor do I have any desire to. Oh, I thought you caught this one. So never <laughs> mind. Screw you. Foster, what did you think of The Exorcist Believer? So I'm not going to recommend it, but I am going to defend it just a little bit because I don't think it's as bad as people are saying. I still don't think it's very good, but it's not like a half, half star, one star movie to me. It's just kind of neutral. Um, I think... Uh, I think there's some good scenes in here. Like when the girl comes into the church, I think that's like a genuinely pretty scary scene. You kind of see the body, in the, the, blood. the body, yeah. In the blood. <laughs> yeah. I, I guess it's kind of a meme, but I think it's, I think it's a creepy effective scene. Yeah. I think, uh, I think um, most of the performances I think are pretty good. Uh, I think the kids are really good. I, I love Ann Dowd. She's probably my favorite person in this movie. I think Leslie Odom Jr. is good too. 
Uh, I also just think it's interestingly shot and edited. I wouldn't say necessarily well shot and edited 100% of the time, but um, some of the editing and the way the sound cuts out and the montage nature of the scene, there David Gordon Green is going for something here, and I kind of love big swings, and it felt like who let him get away with shooting the movie like this almost. <laughs> I'm thinking in the, and I didn't even mean that to be a negative, but I, I can see why it would be interpreted that way. I mean, like, like it's kind of cool that a big franchise movie like this or like the Halloween trilogy gets someone like David Gordon Green, who's more from like the indie scene, um, even even before he did like Pineapple Express and stuff, he was like an indie director. And so it's kind of cool that he's able to bring his sensibilities to that. I think like um, small uh, characters that pop up for just like one or two lines, like I'm remembering the teacher at the beginning of the movie, or like if you think in Halloween Ends, Corey's dad, I, he just finds these really random, you know, like funky looking townspeople that are just real and raw and quirky and memorable. And um, it's just kind of nice compared to most franchise movies where everyone is like a supermodel. And yep. so I just, I kind of appreciate some things about this. It's not perfect, but I don't think it's like the worst movie ever made. I will say the one thing I do hate, I think bringing Ellen Burstyn back and some of the lines they make her read are just absolutely ridiculous. That was like mega cringe material. So yeah. that's, that's the worst thing about this for me. Foster, we are absolutely in agreement. Uh, I think we'll end up not recommending this, but I, when people, I've seen some lists that have this as the worst film of the year. And I'm just like, either a, you're doing that intentionally to, to try to be, uh, to try to make a statement or B you just didn't see that many movies. Cause there are so many worse movies than this. Just when it comes down to the technical elements, the use of score, uh, you kind of touched on it a little bit, but specifically like the sound design in this film, when they go in and out of some of the exorcism scenes and the way the sound cuts out, um, is actually really compelling. Um, I think that the final exorcist scene actually works really well too. I, I thought that was shot really well having it as two young girls kind of battling with each other. And it, it's not a good film. I'm not saying that it's a good film, but I don't think it is the complete piece of trash that a lot of people have made it out to be. There are some interesting decisions happening here. I kind of have it as a, as a mass score. I think I gave it like a two and a half out of five. Uh, I, again, not a good movie, but not nearly as bad. Leslie Odom Jr. is great. Uh, uh, Ann Dowd is great. Um, I do think this really does suffer from two big things. One that you hit on already. If you're going to bring back Ellen Burstyn, do it the right way. Make her a central part of the story. But to just bring her in for essentially five minutes and then axe her the way that you did it to use her just for nostalgia, just for marketing trailers. It, it felt incredibly cheap and disingenuous and a disservice to the character in the original film, uh, especially when all you're trying to do is pull on nostalgia. And all you're doing really is doing everything that we've seen every other legacy sequel do lately. It's like, oh, this person's now an alcoholic many years later and they hate their lives and they're depressed. And you could have done more than that. Um, so if you, that's all you were going to do, you should have never brought her back. But the thing I hate the most is actually how this doesn't really wrestle with faith in any way that I found compelling. I think that's what makes the Exorcist movie so good and so worth watching. That first film in particular with Father Karras and all he's struggling through. None of that is here. In fact, they don't even bring in like the Catholic priest until the third act of this movie. 
And dude is gone even quicker than Ellen Burstyn was gone in this film. And that is saying something. Um, so this movie tries to say something about community and different people of different faiths trying to come together for a mutual goal. Uh, but I don't think David Gordon Green really had his finger on the pulse to tie those themes together. So long story short, Foster, it sounds like we're in agreement that this is a meh film, especially if you see, I, I would also add the caveat. If you've seen the other films in the Exorcist franchise, the actual official Exorcist franchise, there's no way this movie is worse than Exorcist 2. There is no way this is worse than some of those prequel movies. Like, it's just not. <laughs> like, the original Exorcist and Exorcist 3 are far better than this, but this is not the worst one. But, uh, so yeah, Foster, are we, are we in agreement? This is a meh-ish film at best, but we're not recommending it. Yeah. Yeah, I'm almost tempted, though, to give it a neutral, just like in defiance to the people who are so aggressive, but I'm not really recommending it. Um, yeah. yeah, I'll just agree with you about Ellen Burstyn and just say, it. obviously, they're trying to do the Jamie Lee Curtis thing, but Ellen Burstyn is not a girl boss and was not in the original <laughs> Exorcist movie. So it's just so stupid that yeah. every horror movie is trying to do this with their like female characters. It doesn't work. It's just cringy. It's so weird. It's so yeah. weird. No, it, it very weird. Um, moving on now, we had I wanted to take a quick pause to say that there's going to be a couple movies we're not going to speak about just because none of us were able to see them. There's a new, I think, Shark Boy and Lava Girl, My Big Fat Greek Wedding 3. There were a couple other franchise films we're not going to talk about today that just none of us were able to see. Um, but just know that those were out there. Uh, if you are my big fat Greek wedding fan, we do apologize because <laughs> I think. Did you mean? Did you mean Spy Kids? Uh, sh- no, I think Shark Boy and Lava Is Girl. There Spy Shark Kids Bo- are the same. No, universe, I think it's. Right? I think it's Spy Kids. It was Spy Kids. Um, the one with Zachary Levi as the dad. Okay. Shark Boy. Well, and I know Lava one Girl. of them came out with something. Yeah, whatever. Uh, it's it's a Robert Rodriguez series. Yes. <laughs> But uh, so if you wanted to hear us talk about those, I apologize. We are going to miss them. I wanted to bring it up here because I believe that was next on the calendar, but we are skipping it. So moving on to what we are covering still next on the calendar would be the Marvels released on November 10th in the Americas uh, in the, I guess, domestic Canada probably had the same release date. Didn't even check it. Uh, And this is, of course, part of the MCU, the now biggest franchise of all time. What did we think of the Marvels? Rowan? Um, Accepting Guardians Volume 3, I think this is the best Marvel movie in a long time. Um, And I think that's mainly because it has genuine um, personality and like some idea of what the movie should be from from the directorial perspective uh, and chemistry between the leads that you can tell that they are having fun with each other and they want to make a great movie. Um, there are still a lot of Marvel problems. The villain's forgettable. Like like I right now could not tell you her plan. Uh, actually, I couldn't tell you her name. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Me neither. Um, and it there are parts of it that feel like they're trying too hard to fit into like the Marvel plan and like the Marvel machine. But I think a lot of it, like Nia DaCosta is a pretty good director. Um, and it's insane that her work on this movie did not uh, pay off for student loans. Um, but uh, yeah, uh, I like Brie Larson. 
Um, I like uh, Iman Vellani. Uh, I like Tiana Paris, and I think they're all having a really good time here. I like seeing the characters from Miss Marvel on the big screen. I like <laughs> I like seeing Samuel L. Jackson have to deal with like 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 cat a, like alien cat pods cat around apocalypse. this space station. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that's so fun, and that's something that we haven't really had with Marvel movies again, except in Guardians Three. Um, but yeah, I had fun with it, and I liked it. Foster. I didn't really like it. I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't want to be a Debbie Downer. It's, be a Debbie Downer. Crush Rowan's spirit. I, I uh, actually, I'm going to be a Deborah Downer. Thank oh. you very much. Don't get don't get cute with me, Heath. Uh, Deborah. I Deborah exactly. Uh, I I don't really have any hatred towards this movie specifically. I'm just kind. Of, I've hit my breaking point with the superhero movies. Which, just to be clear, I love superhero movies. They're like a huge part of what got me into movies when I was younger. So I don't have like I'm not like an anti superhero movie guy, but I am just burnt out like crazy, especially this past year because I think um, it's not that they're bad. Like truly, they're fine. It's just they're like, like aggressively average to me to the point that they're just all exactly the same and it's just the same sort of formula over and over and over again. And I just think about some of my favorite movies of all time are like the earlier wave of superhero movies. So I love the Sam Raimi Spider-Mans. I love the Dark Knight trilogy, like the same ones that everyone else loves. And there's so much style. I'm just thinking of like the train fight sequence in Spider-Man 2. You can just look at 10 seconds of that and there's like 15 like memorable quick shots. Like I'm thinking when Spider-Man is flying up above the train and has to tilt to fit inside the grate of the overpass, you know, like little things like that, that are just so inspired and cool. And it's like, I don't think I've gotten an image like that from a superhero movie in a while. Um, I think game, for me at least. Yeah. And even Endgame. here's the thing. I loved Endgame. It was an incredible theater experience. And I actually haven't watched it at home because I loved the theater experience so much. And I'm nervous that it might not quite live up to what I remember from the theater. But even like that ending to me is not really aesthetically all that pleasing. It is kind of just like a grayish mess of a background yeah which yeah it the movie works very well but like even so it's just like i'm i'm missing something something tangible that i got in like the raimi spider-mans or the dark knight trilogy or the burton batmans um something it's it just these feel so empty to me um and i also like brie larson and tiona paris and amon Vellani. not as much in this movie i think amon Vellani is the best part of this movie by far because i feel like she's the only one who has like a real personality that's breaking through whereas everyone else feels so stifled um and I actually really liked Miss Marvel because it felt like it was made by people, you know, like it was on the ground level, you know, and it, I don't know, I just had something to root for. I'm just so like, I don't know, this movie was kind of a wash for me. Again, I didn't hate it. It's just like, I never really want to watch it again, unfortunately. I get that. I'm going to split the difference between you. Uh, I don't like it like Rowan does. I don't dislike it like Foster does. I just, it's, it's fine. But foster to your point that's kind of the problem uh i'm sure at some point on this podcast we might even have an episode about superhero fatigue and what that really means and does it exist and have a deeper conversation but uh, to tip my hat a little bit on that conversation i think superhero fatigue doesn't exist i think bad superhero movies are making us not like superhero movies and i would i would consider mundane just fine films to be bad like no one likes just mundane or fine 
Uh, we want something good. And if the Marvel movies were still good, if the DC movies were still good, people would still be packing theaters. We know this because they still packed for Spider-Man and for Guardians of the Galaxy and for Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. When the movies are good, the fans show up. That's a separate conversation, but it ties into this film, which is, this is just meh. It's fine. It's uh, Rowan, I completely agree that it feels like there's more character in this one than there has been in an MCU film in a while. I liked our lead three. I thought that first act when their powers were intertwined, that was the best part of the movie. Uh, Foster, I agree. Amon Villani is the best part of the movie. And I don't even think it's close. She is hilarious. She's witty. Her, uh, you know, fangirl mentality is just so charming and she's quirky in the most in entertaining way. And it's fun to watch these characters interact as characters on screen. But man, the script sucks. And it's really hacked hacked up and you could tell where they went and did reshoots and you can tell where things were pieced together and other things that just don't feel like they fit. And it's like, Oh, we're going to go to the scroll colony on this planet that how did this exist when we've been told in other MCU stuff that all the scrolls are only on earth now. And, but now here we are at a planet where people can only sing and they can't understand language when it's not being sung, even though it's the same words, that doesn't even make sense. And it just feels like this is a mishmash of different ideas uh, with a lot of attempt at heart and character, but none of it comes through. Um, and the ending I found insufferable, how it just had to tie back to the rest of the MCU. And it, it just bothered me. Um, so there, there will be parts of this I can rewatch and enjoy again, primarily in the first act. And then there will be other parts where I'm just like, I have no desire to go watch the Flurgan cap apocalypse and just watch them eat people for five minutes straight. And that scene went on for forever. Um, it's like, Oh, you remember that one joke from the earlier movie from years ago? Let's do that same joke for five minutes straight. And it just felt so unnecessary. So I'm proposing we split the difference. Cause I think Rowan's going to recommend this one. Foster's going to not recommend this one. And I'm net neutral. So are we just going to say net neutral on the Marvels? Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. We are net neutral on the Marvels. Moving on to The Hunger Games, The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes, released November 14th. Incorrect. November 17th. <laughs> this is part of the Hunger Games franchise. Rowan, what did you think of The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes? I really liked it. Uh, there's a lot of pacing issues, I think, um, with a movie that's pretty heavy on the first two acts that's literally splitting up its acts by chapter. Um, it's very heavy on the first two and the third sort of feels like an afterthought. Um, but I love the book that it's based on. And I think my love of the book kind of helps me here uh, in, you know, piece it all together um, and, 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 and make it all feel more fluid. Um, I but but I, I also love the characters. I love the world. I love what they do with President Snow. I think his character, even in the Hunger Games, I think was fascinating. And th what this movie does is it builds on that without doing any of the stuff that they or or or, or too much of the stuff that they did with um, with Han Solo in Solo. Um, we learn why he is the way he is without any distracting like retcons and weird explanations for certain things. There, there is some of that, but it feels natural and it feels like we are seeing him at a point in time instead of seeing a quote unquote origin story. Um, we are seeing an origin story, but it doesn't necessarily feel like they're trying too hard to make it one like, like to make it that. Um, yeah, I, I, I think this movie is really, really good. Uh, and I had a lot of fun. 
And Foster? I kind of love this, actually. Um, and even after a couple of months, I still like it a lot and have thought about it a good deal. Um, I think Tom Blythe is really, really, really good um, and maybe doesn't get enough credit because of that weird tonal shift in the last third. Um, for me, the last third doesn't really bother me because I see what they're going for. And so my head can kind of fill in the gaps of what I think the movie is missing well enough to appreciate the ending. Um, I think the supporting cast is pretty awesome. The standouts, the three, Peter Dinklage, Jason Schwartzman, Viola Davis are so good. Um, Peter Dinklage just has this expression in his like last scene of the movie that I think about a lot. He's, he's, he's incredible. Um, yeah, it's just really interesting, like seeing the beginnings of the games and it makes me excited. This is maybe a tease as to one of my answers for a question that we might be answering later on, but it makes me really excited for potential future Hunger Games movies um, where they could just bounce around and do different, different, uh, you know, t- uh, not timelines, different, um, different years. You know what I'm trying to say? Yep. Uh, I, I like Rachel Ziegler a lot. Um, I don't know. I just liked it. I thought it looked really good, too. That's a huge thing for me. Like the look of a movie is so important to me, I, which is why I mention it a lot with things like the Marvel movies. I hate, hate, hate when things look like they're just a shot exactly the same way that you would shoot like an AT and T commercial, which is what like a lot of the Marvel shows feel like oh, to me one nowadays. Of the burns I've ever heard. <laughs> I mean, I mean, it's. I think it's accurate to be honest with you. I mean, it's just like. I mean, how many complaints have you heard about people complaining about, uh, like, oh, it's so dark, I can't really see what's happening in this Disney Plus show. I hear this, like, five times a week, you know? It's yep. it's just, like, the art... Uh, this is so pretentious. The art of lighting and framing is, like, dead <laughs> for, like, <laughs> huge franchise movies. And so when you see something like this, like Hunger Games, Ballad of Songbird and Snakes, it looks like a real movie. The costumes are great. The sets are, like, huge and elaborate. Um it's like competently shot. It's just like, it's a real movie. I just like, I, I was, I don't want to say blown away because that's extreme. It's more so just in contrast with what we've been getting lately. It stands out to me. Yep. I'm going to agree. I, I really liked this too. This is the most fun I've had with the fun, the, the Funger games, the hunger games <laughs> since uh, catching fire. We spoke <laughs> about this on our retrospective episode a, a while back, but yeah, I thought this was just a blast. I had a great time with it. It stuck with me again. The only thing that really ever messes with me is what you guys have already mentioned is that the third act just kind of feels a little off compared relative to the first two acts. Uh, Foster. I agree that I can kind of fill in the gaps too, but just cause I can doesn't mean that that's still not a ding on the movie in my opinion, because the movie should rely on the audience to have to fill in the gaps, uh, at least to that degree, in my opinion. Um, but even that said, I, I still had fun with it, you know, and I think it works and it was one of the more entertaining experiences I had this year, uh, at the at the theaters. So, uh, if you're a fan of the hunger games, you definitely need to check this one out. And even if you're not a fan of the hunger games, I would say that, you could even start here because it's a prequel. It does a fairly serviceable job. I would say, wouldn't say as clear as the original films, but a really still great job of world building and putting you in Pan Am and getting you to understand the concepts of the districts and the capital and everything that's going on that you could feasibly just start with this film and then go from here. And I don't think you'd miss a beat. So uh, it sounds like this is going to be universal. Rowan, are we recommending this one? Sure are. Foster? Yes, sir. Franchise parody, so full recommend for The Hunger Games, The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes. Moving on 
to the next one from December 1st, part of the Godzilla franchise, the surprising Godzilla minus one. Rowan, what do you like about the Lizard Boy? <laughs> this movie kind of came out of nowhere, um, and I'm so, so glad that it did because uh, it rules so hard. Um, I <laughs> think, like, everyone is saying this about this movie, but I like it. It's true. It emphasizes the um, both the human element that is so crucial to um, to to the good um, like sort of kaiju movies, and br- brings Godzilla back to what he originally represented, which was the man made, um, you know, uh, potentially disastrous weaponry uh, and 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 potential you know world ending threat that we created after you know, to end world war two. Um, and the fact that it is a movie that is willing to not just focus on that, but embrace it. Um, I think like that alone sets it apart from a lot of the other Godzilla and, and big monster movies. Um, I love the protagonist here. Uh, I can't recall his name right now. Um, but his arc is perfect and Godzilla is used so well, not necessarily sparingly. We do see him a lot, but when we do, like, we really feel his presence. Like he feels like a massive threat. Um, and he, like, not to mention he looks fantastic. The visual effects in this movie are incredible. I think this might be the best I've seen Godzilla look ever in a movie. Um, Yeah, uh, I love this movie. It made me cry at the end, which I was absolutely not expecting from a Godzilla movie. Uh, And this is my favorite, maybe my favorite theatrical experience um, of the year. Foster? Yeah, I thought this was awesome. This is one of my favorite movies of the whole year. Um, All the reasons Roman said, I think... um, this is like it is like the most epic depiction of Godzilla. I think it's so like it's so hard. I wanted to like stand up and scream when when he came on to do the atomic breath in the middle, or or when he's in the doing the Jaws chase. You know, like in in the first third, it's so good, um, so 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 good. I also am gonna do a quick uh, side recommend. I watched Shin Godzilla, which I hadn't seen. Um, because I loved this movie so much. And so I watched a couple Godzilla movies and Shin Godzilla was really, really awesome and has a destruction sequence right in the middle. That to me is as good as the ones in this movie. It's a lot campier and, um, looks more like the original Godzilla, like kind of as an homage almost, but it was absolutely awesome. And so if you haven't checked that one out, like I hadn't up until a week or two ago, I would strongly recommend that one too. Um, but yeah, that's all I got to say about Godzilla minus one. Cause I figure you'll cap it off Heath. Yeah. Um, I think I saw almost 175 films from 2023 and this was an easy top 10 for me. We, we are going to unanimously love this uh, film. I think that this was amazing. And uh, I think what makes it amazing is it's not a, and the American Godzilla films really struggle with this, but even some of the Japanese ones have too. Uh, this is not a movie about Godzilla. This is a movie about human beings and Godzilla just happens to be there. And I think that's what makes this so damn good is that this is a human story. It's about, uh, you know, what it means to, to disappoint those around you, your family, your country, to be disappointed in yourself, uh, a derelict of service. Is that even such a real thing? 
are you really that kind of a disappointment? What does that mean, especially in relations to the Japanese kamikaze fighters? Um, what the value of life is, what it means to stand up and fight for something as a community, as a people, even outside the the will of government. This movie is doing and exploring so much thematically that it just makes it so moving for me, so interesting. I think the performances are ex- exceptional. I think the special effects are exceptional. That atomic breath in this film is badass, <laughs> and it looks way cooler than any atomic breath sequence I think I've ever seen in any Godzilla film ever. And even when he's not doing the atomic breath and he's just walking through the city and tail whipping the shit out of, out of buildings, it still looks awesome. Um, the destruction sequences are great. The design of Godzilla is great. Uh, the only thing that I would say is I know they tried to do an homage to the original man in the suit, but it does look a little bit goofy sometimes when Godzilla's walking through a city with perfect 90 degree angle arms and uh, his human-like eyes. Um, but outside of that, I don't care. It, it's great. It's fantastic. The only thing in this movie I literally don't like is the last like minute and a half where someone is alive, where, screw you, I'm sorry, that person shouldn't be alive. There's just, there's just no way. I don't buy it. I don't believe it. You're doing it there for emotional manipulation, and that bothered me, uh, especially when uh, the death of that character was the the catalyst of the emotional motivation for our main character Shikishima to do the actions that he was willing to do. So I felt that that was a little cheap, uh, making that person alive in the end. But outside of that, don't care. This movie is fantastic. Um, so are we going to universally, we're recommending this one. Yeah. Yeah. This is the one that I am feel most strongly about recommending that we've talked about so far today. Yep. Foster. <laughs> yep. Of course. And another full-hearted recommend for Godzilla Minus One. Moving on to Wonka, released December the 15th as part of the now officially a franchise, Willy Wonka. What did we think of Wonka? Who saw this one? All right, we all did. Rowan, go. <laughs> I love how we were raising our hands in, uh, on an audio podcast. Yes. Um, back-to-back movies that made me cry, strangely enough. Uh, yep, Wonka Wonka brought out the tears. As we know, Paul, uh, director Paul King is very good at doing from the Paddington movies. Um, I liked this. I didn't love it, um, but I love the uh, sort of the fantastical, you know um, – uh, setting that it uh, that it presents, and I like a lot of the supporting cast. Uh, Timothy Chalamet, man, he just doesn't do it for me, and that makes me really sad because I think with a really compelling lead, this movie could have been fantastic, and instead, it's only good. Like I I I did enjoy it. Like like the songs are good, um, uh, the atmosphere is great. Uh, I think the writing is 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 pretty clever, but. Timothy Chalamet has smartphone face. Um, he has seen an iPhone. He knows what it looks like. Uh, <laughs> and I simply do not buy um, him as a younger version of either Gene Wilder or Johnny Depp. I feel like he is trying to, um, I feel like he's trying to draw uh, elements from both of their performances. And I don't think it really works that well. I think he is at his best when he's just, 
being himself and not trying to emulate either of them. But when he's trying to like act crazy or zany, like I don't think that really that really works in the way that he wants it to. Uh, but overall, I like the movie. I thought it was fun. Foster. Yeah, I disagree about Chalamet in this movie. I so I saw the trailer and I did not like the trailer to be honest with you, and I felt the exact same way about his like you want it dark, white, nutty, absolutely insane. You know, like those like really intense like like so quiet up and listen down. You know, it's like scratch it's, that, it's scratch reverse, that, it. reverse it. It's like it's real. It's really intense. To me, I saw the movie, and I'm like. I, it kind of put it in a new context for me of, oh, he's a showman. Like the character himself is trying to advertise himself, you yeah. know, in even in some of those scenes. And to me, that erased like half of the criticism I had. But then also just seeing like the fully fleshed out character to me. I feel like in the last 10 minutes of the movie, he like accesses a very deep, um, part of this is so crazy that I'm talking about Wonka, a deep part of Wonka's psyche <laughs> that he accesses <laughs> in that in that final those final moments that I think puts the whole character into context. Um, he is upbeat and he is smiling because he has to, almost like as sort of a, I'm speaking like almost for myself, like this is how I live, like as a self defense yeah, sort of thing because. Mechanism. Because of the sadness he has had in his life, I think Chalamet is an incredible actor, and I think this is a very good performance. I I think um, his best performance is for me always probably going to be "Call Me by Your Name." I think he's just incredible in that. But I thought he was really good in this, and it surprised me because I I wasn't on board from the trailer. The other thing I'll say, I feel um, I'm gonna I'm gonna break out the big guns here about Wonka. I liked this movie a lot. I would say I even loved it. The only thing I didn't love was maybe some of the songs. And so it's hard for me to like completely get on board with a musical if I don't you love know, I all of the songs. <laughs> I, I mean, I haven't had a desire. So I watched like a few musicals in the past week. Like I watched the Mean Girls movie. I watched The Color Purple. I watched Wonka. And I have gone back to listen to those other soundtracks. I have not gone back to listen to Wonka yet. We'll see. But aside from that, I, I think everything in the movie is really solid. Great, great visuals and everything. Great sense of humor. Fun cast members. I think that the Paul King movies, and if you you two have seen my Letterboxd review, so you already know this probably, but I feel very, very strongly about movies that uh, are made for kids, especially in live action, um, because I think in the past like 15 years, there have not been very many good ones. Um, most of the kids' movies have been like Alvin and the Chipmunks, where it's like, yeah, it's funny, but it's like there's no, not much substance and they're not well-made films. They're just like fun entertainment for kids. Paul King is like such a such a gift to this world because his movies are genuinely well-made and you can show them to your kids and you can enjoy them and you can also like feel good about what you're filling them up with. You know what I mean? Instead of like a bunch of chipmunks making like fart jokes and singing Britney Spears, you know what I mean? It's yep. like, it's, I feel like it's very important. I don't really talk about it that much on this podcast, but I'm a high school teacher. This, this kind of thing is just very important to me. And I feel very strongly that this movie is valuable um, for us today because it is optimistic um, in this very cynical world that we live in. It takes a very positive optimistic view of humanity and it treats fun silly things with sincerity and i think that is so important 
And I really, really appreciate it. And so I'm giving this a firm recommend. So I'll get off my soapbox now. Heath, what did you think? Uh, as a parent, I fully agree that this is a, a valuable thing to have in the world. And I'll tell you what, if I have to choose between this or the Paddington movies versus something like Trolls, it's the Paul King movies every day of the week and twice on Sunday um, because <laughs> these are valuable and necessary. Um, I love Wonka. I have seen it twice already. I saw it twice in theaters. Uh, Foster, you talk about the soundtrack. This is on repeat in our household. In fact, my three-year-old is like, hey, daddy, let's let's listen Chocolate Man. Can we listen Chocolate Man songs? <laughs> and we listen to this every car ride, around the house, whatever. Uh, I think this movie is beautiful. By the end of the film, both times I've seen it, I was crying. I think Timothy Chalamet is great here. Um, the only knock I would maybe give is that he doesn't have the most powerful voice when it comes to the singing. I think it's still a good voice. He can hit the right pitches and tones, but it's not the most powerful and boisterous. But at the same time, uh, just because of the way the songs are written, I don't even know if that's necessarily necessary. So I think it still plays to his strengths. Um, I love the costumes. I love the production design. Like Wonka's store looks beautiful. All those purples and pinks, uh, just absolutely gorgeous. I think the supporting cast is tremendous. The chocolate cartel is hilarious. Uh, and like the cabaret style dance that they do. Uh, I think, uh, the Mrs. Scrubbits, uh, is great. Uh, Olivia Coleman is hilarious. It's just so good. And when it does get to the end and it gives you the final message and the, the golden ticket, the, the secret sauce, uh, behind the chocolate. Uh, it's about who you share it with. And you realize it all comes together as this kind of found family film. It's just so beautiful to me. I think it's really well done. It's emotionally moving. And I, I have a feeling this is going to be a regular watch for me and shout out one last thing. Uh, Hugh Grant, actually great as the Oompa Loompa. And I think he's in the movie just the right amount too. I think if he's in it anymore, he'd probably get annoying He's there just enough, just a couple of scenes. In fact, I don't even think he shows up until like halfway through the movie um, that you can appreciate them as the eccentric little shit that he is <laughs> when he's there. Uh, so yeah, Wonka is great for me. Um, so it sounds like that's going to be a recommend because even Rowan, I think you might have had it the lowest and you still liked it. So that's a recommend from yes. all of us. Yes. 100%. Yep. Moving on to the last franchise film of the season. Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom, the death knell <laughs> of the DCEU, released on December 20th. Rowan, tell us all about your beloved Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom. When I learned that they were making a sequel to Aquaman, <laughs> I was thrilled. My favorite superhero on the big screen, once again, with, his, with my favorite superhero spouse of all time, Mira, played by my favorite actress, Amber Heard. <laughs> The expectations I had riding on this movie, the faith in James Wan and DC who had never <laughs> let me down before. Let's just say when I was sinking into my seat, I was insatiable. I could never be satisfied. What is this? <laughs> <laughs> Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom is one of the worst movies that I watched in 2023. Uh, and I didn't even watch it in 2023. I just realized it's so bad um, that it makes a lot of other DC movies look really good by comparison. Um, Jason Momoa 
is doing like weird sitcom acting that does not fit in this movie, let alone with the vibe of, of DC movies as, as a whole. Uh, you can very clearly tell where the rewrite, uh, like where the rewrites and reshoots came from. Um, and uh, I don't know. Not to say that I was like, that was a joke, by the way, I was not super excited for, for, for this know. movie. Um, but uh I will say that I did expect a little bit more than what we got. Cause what we got was like, they weren't even trying. Like you would think that they would at least try to make like a decent movie. Cause the first Aquaman made a billion dollars. So maybe they thought, ah, we'll just like film some shit and then maybe, and then people will show up and give us more money. It doesn't matter anymore. Um, but it, it, it's just incredibly disappointing um, that I was so, bored by this movie that should have had a lot going for it um but hey i enjoyed watching patrick wilson i like him uh and that is the only praise i can give this movie everything else about it blows pretty hard foster um (laughs) i have not seen the 2023 film aquaman and the lost kingdom okay uh yeah no this movie's really bad uh Rowan, you're absolutely right. You can feel the reshoots. You can feel the cuts. You can feel everything. It's just terribly formatted. It's a bad script in the first place. You can tell that they wanted Mira to be such a bigger part of it. With But then the Amber Heard stuff all started happening. So then they had to cut her out and find a reason that she was like knocked unconscious or like medically taken out of most of the movie. And like, it just, it doesn't work. They tried to t- turn it into like a, a buddy brother fraternal bonding kind of film that doesn't work either Uh, i really didn't like this i didn't enjoy virtually any aspect of it i thought the acting was bad i thought the script was bad the dialogue was bad the visual effects were bad nothing about it was fun except i would if i was to give it anything in the second act i feel like patrick wilson who i agree is probably the best part of the movie but patrick wilson and jason momoa get to like go off and gallivant on this island and they actually get to like have honest conversations with each other and like joke around for a little bit, that was at least, I wouldn't say it was good, but at least held my attention versus everything else yeah. that almost put me to sleep. And then they <laughs> suddenly f- stumble upon a villain secret volcano layer that felt like something out of a 1970s James Bond film. It was so <laughs> bizarre. Um, so, yeah, we're we're not recommending this one, right, Rowan? Yeah, Heath, did you notice how they verbally pointed out the Thor and Loki comparison? Like, yes. like, like I, they, they weren't even trying to disguise it. It just blew my mind how l- absolutely lazy this was. Yeah. It just terrible. So yeah. yeah uh, officially we do not recommend the piece of garbage that is Aquaman and the lost kingdom. Uh, yeah. So uh, now that we have, uh, have um, finished our overall uh, franchise film discussions, we're going to jump into the lightning round. Um, so uh, let's dive into some of the more uh, juicy questions where we can get some fun, hot takes. I'm going to uh, quick fire, rattle off some questions and we'll all give quick responsive uh, takes. Um, let us start uh, with our uh, favorite franchise film of the season. Foster. Uh, Godzilla minus one. Heath. Godzilla minus one. <laughs> and it is of no surprise to you all, I'm sure, that my favorite was Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom. I'm just kidding. <laughs> it's Godzilla minus one. Uh, next up. That was, it, yeah, that was good. <laughs> thank you. Uh, next up is least favorite franchise film of the season, Foster. 
Oh, don't be mad. The Marvels. And Heath? Expend for balls. <laughs> uh, I'm going to go Aquaman uh, uh, for this one. Um, uh, and uh, mo- the franchise slash movie from this season uh, that got you the most excited to see the next entry in the franchise. Foster. Hunger Games, Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes. Interesting. Heath? Uh, Saw X provided it's another jigsaw or character study story. Keep doing that. Don't go back to just traps for the sake of traps. Yes, I agree. Uh, and in fact, Heath, you and I will not have to wait very long because Saw 11 is coming out this year. This year, uh, right. <laughs> I'm out tomorrow. <laughs> are we going to be back to uh, uh, to annual Saw releases? I hope so. That'd be fun. It, Provided be they're so. good scripts, I'm fine with that. Just <laughs> yeah. Don't fuck up again <laughs> uh it does bother me a little bit that they aren't bringing back the screenwriters from saw 10 but hopefully uh it it it, it all turns out all right um next up uh franchise movie from this season that got us the least excited to see the next entry in the franchise foster uh the exorcist believer <laughs> just because it was supposed to be the start of a trilogy which i think is kind of falling apart fast before before our very eyes but yeah, yeah. heath yeah, I'm actually going to be the exact same. Uh, if you asked me about a week or two ago, I don't think that would have been the answer, but it is going to be now because I think we even saw the news, what, just like this week that David Gordon Green is out uh, mm-hmm. for The Exorcist Deceiver. And I'm just like, okay, I, the first one was already loosely hamstring together and now you're taking away the only guy who is in charge of it all. I d- so I don't even know if they continue, frankly. They might just cancel the next movie outright, but I'm not excited to see it regardless. Yeah, um, I genuinely don't know what to answer uh, for this um, because all of the franchise movies that I did see, I am a, a little excited to see what's more, except for Aquaman, which is going to be a total reboot. So I'm going to say Wonka because uh, I ju- just don't think there needs to be another one. Uh, <laughs> I don't think you have to worry. <laughs> I, I guarantee you at some point we'll get a middle one that takes place after Wonka, but yeah. before Willy Wonka, where we actually see him like turn jaded and how he got screwed over at the fact factory and started like not talking to other human beings at some point give it 15 20 years we'll get that yeah we'll see um uh what movie from this season do you most want to see turn into a franchise uh foster i am wondering if a couple of us have the same one on here maybe heath will have the same one as me but thanksgiving nice i think would be a, a great a great franchise i feel like it just lends itself to that very naturally they've got like a great you know killer design um the premise is kind of timeless you can just do the same thing you know over and over again and it's kind of hard to get bored by it as as long as your you know like suspense killer sequences are creative um yeah i thought the first one was fun and i would definitely watch more heath all right i've got three one is thanksgiving (laughs) foster i agree the other is going to be totally killer uh, give me nice. the whole Back to the Future trilogy. Give me a part two that somehow ties back in to Totally Killer One, and I somehow tie it into the Old West or like something from like the 1920s or something. Like I don't care. Just like make it happen. Give me three parts of that somehow. I think that'd be funny. And uh, the Creator. I actually don't like the Creator. I think it's a bad movie, but I think that the world building was excellent and the visuals were a treat. And if you can actually get a good script into that world, I'd be interested to see more. But if it's the same script quality that we had, no thank you. 
Very nice. Uh, so I didn't see Thanksgiving. I'm sure um, I would I would think the same. I'm going to go with a movie that no one saw. Um, a directed Disney Plus original Christmas movie called The Naughty Nine, uh, which has uh, a group of eight kids who are on the naughty list who employ who who like could like like kind of blackmail. Th- well, okay, they don't blackmail them, but they convince this like adult pilot to to fly them to the North Pole in order to steal the presents that they that were somehow made for them but they didn't get because they were on the naughty list uh danny glover plays santa claus this movie is so much dumb fun uh and i had a blast and there's a sequel set up in the end of this movie santa appears at the school in the principal's office and tells the main kid we need the naughty nine so there's already a setup um and yeah uh you all should watch this movie it's like 80 minutes and it's so so goofy um i had a great time when we were watching this we watched this over thanksgiving break my dad came down like right after it started and was like what are you guys watching and then stood disapprovingly with his arm crossed in the corner for like 40 minutes uh which is (laughs) half of the runtime of this movie um but yeah i'd love to see the naughty 10 uh maybe even the naughty 11 um maybe a crossover with the fast and furious franchise who knows we'll see yes nothing's off the table No, cross um, it with the oceans movies if we're just going to increase numbers and then we could have like a heist film it sounds like yeah. it's already kind of a heist film just go for yeah. more honestly i don't uh, know why our... i'm trying to pitch a franchise for this film that i haven't seen but somehow we got down this road <laughs> yeah uh our final uh lightning round question is what franchise from this season do you most want to see end foster yeah, I feel like I sound like a Grinch and probably half the people listening hate me, but the MCU, just because I feel like I'm overwhelmed by how much stuff there is, and there's already like three or four seasons of TV shows I still haven't caught up on, and like most of the new announcements for movies and shows I'm just not really looking forward to, and in fact, some of them fill me with fear, <laughs> because <laughs> they keep announcing things about Daredevil born again, and I'm just like, please do not ruin please my Please do day. not mess up Daredevil. <laughs> because that is... It is the best thing that is that is connected to the MCU, in my opinion. And I, they are just, they're not gonna. It's not gonna be as good. I just don't know say it. it. Don't do I it. just, but I like. <laughs> no. I'm just already. I just like. I want them to stop. <laughs> Take a nap. Uh, I'm gonna be cheap, and I'm gonna give answers that <laughs> I'm already getting my wish. Uh, the DCEU and the Expendables, both of them, out of here. Just be done with them. And hey, look, we're done with them. Uh, that's kind of a cheap answer because we already know that they're done, uh, but I don't care. Those are the ones I hate the most and I want them to be done. And I say that as a massive DC fan, I can't wait for that to all start over and James Gunn to hopefully fix everything. Uh, but even still, man, I, I could wait another five years for that. <laughs> Just, I need some distance from yeah. the, the toxic stink. Um, I am going to say the same, honestly, DCEU. Uh, it's been a long time coming, uh, uh, the slow death uh, of this of this franchise, and I'm I'm glad that it's finally happened, uh, and I'm looking forward to what James Gunn does. And like you, Heath, I feel like I could wait uh, a lot longer. Um, but you know, hey, Superman Legacy coming out next year. I'm excited. Yep. I'm not opposed. Yep. Now that Rowan is done yapping, it is time to take a look at some special shout-outs. <laughs> These are some movies that we would like to talk about, but do not qualify for our list, unfortunately, because they do not belong to a franchise. So I think let's start with Rowan. Do you have uh, some special shout-outs, some movies that you loved from this trimester, September <laughs> through December, that you would love to, <laughs> that you would love to, uh, uh, to shout out? 
Um, I do. Uh, I would like to shout out uh, all of us strangers, uh, the holdovers, um, uh, the zone of interest, uh, the boy and the heron, uh, anatomy of a fall, killers of the flower moon. Uh, I mean, there are just so many incredible and like, you know, these are the these are the award season movies that I feel like, you know, are not necessarily you know, like, of course, they don't fall into the franchise thing, but like, the, you know, we, we're calling this the awards season wrap up. And these are the true, uh, you know, uh, awards season movies. Um, but like Maestro, May, December, uh, I don't remember if Ninja Turtles is is, is within this time frame, but it's that not. was technically yeah. summer. It's not. That was summer. It was uh, that, summer, you absolute that's idiot. That's great, too. <laughs> uh, and, and the last one I'm going to shout out is uh, William Friedkin's uh, The Kane Mutiny Court Martial, uh, his last film uh, that I think is genuinely fantastic. But they put it out on Showtime and no one watched it because, of course, they didn't. I watched it like a couple days ago. It's awesome. Pretty good. I have it, it on my queue. I just haven't gotten to it yet. Yeah. I think you'd be into it. Yeah, I love. Like, I think uh, I think you'd court, really like it. I love courtroom dramas, so that's very very possible. My yeah, uh, special mention really like it. You like you again? Really, really I think like <laughs> I think we're gonna have your a lot list. of crossover here. We're gonna have a lot of crossover here because it is award season, and, and these are some of the best films of the year. But uh, also the holdovers. Uh, I also have the Iron Claw. I thought that was mm. fantastic. Brought me to tears as well. Killers of the Flower Moon, Anatomy of a Fall, Poor Things, uh, and. The last one is actually going to be a comedy special, uh, and that's Mike Birbiglia, The Old Man and the Pool. Um, I don't know if you like Birbiglia's stuff, if you're aware of him. He doesn't just tell jokes. He tells a story. Uh, they're incredibly relatable. They're usually about different periods of life. Uh, this one is about being middle-aged and accepting your own mortality, and there's actual like emotion and heart to it while making you laugh your ass off. Please see this special on Netflix. Uh, I'm going to just say my top four movies from this, this period of time, which is number one is the holdovers, which is my favorite movie of the year. I feel like the movie seems kind of basic on the surface. Like if you just look on it from the outside, but I feel like it's pretty deep and very meaningful to me. Uh, it's just a great, great movie. Zone of interest is my number two, which still has not released wide. I don't think, um, am I right about that? that uh, theoretically not, it's, all it's of us releasing in some interest are not on my list cause I can't see them yet. Yeah, theoretically, sure Zone of Interest be. is coming out in more theaters on the 19th, which is a couple days from now as of recording. But a couple more theaters, you know, across the United States is still a very limited release. Yeah, it's like 20 instead of 15. <laughs> um, Zone of Interest is phenomenal. It's it's a very incredible movie. It's not a fun watch, but it's a very good, compelling watch. Um, number three uh, for me is May-December, I think is... Uh, I know Heath, Heath is not as big a fan of this one as, as I am, but I think it's a brilliant movie. And I think the three performances at the center are like three of the top performances of the year for me personally. Um, I just thought it was very like compelling. And I thought the ending sort of recontextualized the movie for me in a way that I don't think I've ever seen another movie do before. Uh, number four is The Iron Claw, which I... Um, is probably going to move up, honestly. The, so the Iron Claw has been the steady climber of my list this year, where like I keep like I keep pushing it like just one slot up. Like every time I open my my twenty twenty three list, um, it's it is <laughs> the letterbox reviews say it's like Little Women, but for boys, <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> for the guys, you know. And it's so true. It's just like it, it makes me cry. <laughs> I just think about the ending, and I'm just like a mess. It's just. It's fantastic. I loved it so much. Yep. 
Well, that's going to conclude our award season wrap up. Thank you to all of our listeners for tolerating our insufferable fandom. We love each and every one of you and couldn't be more grateful that you take the time out of your day to listen to our incoherent ramblings. If you want to positively rate and review our podcast on Spotify or Apple Podcasts and or share it with friends, we'd be ever so appreciative. But for now, it's time to say goodbye and we'll see you next week when we're back to our regular, regularly scheduled season episodes. So... Hope you enjoyed the last trimester of films. We'll see you with another wrap-up in another four months. Bye. Bye. Bye.